16, and then finally, um, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And before we read, let's bow together. Oh, excuse me. I'll fix that, Shelly. There you go. Father God, thank you so much that uh, we have your word to guide us, especially during times uh, like the ones we're living in now. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I could bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully, and that your Holy Spirit would rest on everybody who hears this message, uh, opening their hearts and minds uh, to the truth of your word. We love you, and we praise you, and we worship you, and we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, Psalm 37, it's a bit long, but I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. It's such an encouraging psalm. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his ways, over the evil man who carries out evil desires. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the day of, days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but not, does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. And those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever." For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall altogether be destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And then we go to Luke 
chapter 16. It's the same passage we read last week, uh, but it's such an important passage, I thought we'd read it again. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then finally, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start with verse 10. Oh, excuse me. Um, we'll start with verse 6. <laughs> Looked at the wrong passage. <laughs> but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. May God bless to us this reading. From his holy word. The situation we're going through here, obviously in the world, is quite crazy. Uh, but you may not realize that COVID 19 has not been the first pandemic that the world has faced. Uh, you've probably realized that because you heard about the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 to 1920. But you might not realize that uh, throughout history, the world, uh, the known world, if you will, has experienced at least 50 major pandemics, many of which completely altered society, completely altered the world as we know it. Uh, one that you may be familiar with is uh, the Black Death of the Middle Ages and how it swept multiple times uh, around Europe. Uh, but there have been many, many others. I was listening to a talk just this past week at a conference that I was attending virtually, uh, and the speaker, Niall Ferguson, uh, a British uh, historian, uh, economic historian, uh, said that out of all the pandemics of the, of the world of history, COVID-19 is probably only number 36 in terms of severity. In other words, as far as pandemics go, it's been relatively mild, and relatively few people have died, which, you know, thank, thanks be to God for that. But also he commented that COVID-19, in terms of its economic impact, has been one of the most severe 
pandemics that we've ever seen. So it's a mid-range uh, 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 pandemic in terms of sickness and death, but it's a top-range pandemic in terms of its severity, in terms of its uh, effect uh, on our economy and on our world. And we began to talk a little bit about why that might be the case last week. And if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, I do encourage you to download it online. And although we said very clearly, God did not send this virus, at the same time, I think God has used this virus to expose judgment, judgment that was coming, by the way, on our global economy. Uh, COVID-19 didn't really change anything economically, but it did accelerate a number of changes that many, many people uh, believed that they were coming, that, that were, were coming. Uh, changes such as a, a depression or a great reset in terms of the debt-based economy. And as I mentioned last week, I, God has exposed judgment, has allowed this virus to expose judgment on the global economy because I believe that God would label the global economy as it exists right now an abomination. The economy of the, the last 50 years, as it's emerged around the globe, I think God would call it an abomination using that strong biblical word. It's an abomination because it's an economy that's been based on consumption and greed. It's an economy that's been based on debt and accumulating debt to levels that people could probably never repay. And then finally, it's an economy that has most recently been based on what the Bible has called dishonest weights and measures, uh, which really just means that the economy is operating by unequal and unfair standards. Uh, so that some people benefit, but many people do not. Uh, and we've seen that certainly in the last 10 years. Now, as I've said, the world has never seen a genuinely biblical economy. But we, as God's people, have a responsibility to operate our lives by God's principles, by God's economic principles, to, as part of our kingdom advancement, to demonstrate to the world what a kingdom economy might look like. And to that end, our engagement in the economy, our economic activity, whether it's work, uh, where you do your banking, how you do your banking, your savings, uh, all of those things are part of our economic activity, how we spend our money, how we consume, how we produce, all of these things, our engagement with the economy is not a peripheral biblical issue. Our engagement economically is central to the kingdom of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, out of all of his parables, uh, about 25% uh, of all of his parables had something to do with wealth and with the economy. Pardon me for that. And when you look at all of the Bible, the Bible has more than 2,500 scriptures talking about money, wealth, possessions, our jobs, our economic activity. In fact, there are more scriptures about the economy and our engagement with the economy than there are about love, believe it or not. So it tells us that this is a very big issue to God. Our wealth, how we use our wealth, is a gospel issue. It flows out of the fact that we have been saved through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead. He redeemed us, and when He redeemed us, when He cleansed us of our sin, it's not just our inward sins, but it's also our external sins, our, our sins in areas such as Engage, the way we've engaged with the economy. So for God, this is a big issue. And as Christians, as we're going through this season, and we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know if there will be a second wave of the virus. We don't know how long the virus will be uh, a big factor in how we engage with the world, uh, how it influences our travel. We don't know these things, 
But we do know how God wants us to live, not only during this season, but also how God wants to live as we come out of this COVID-19 economy into a new economy, into a new world, and a lot of things are going to change. And we don't know exactly how they will change. We have some ideas, but we do know, regardless of how they change, how God wants us to live in light of the economy. Now, to understand this, I think we need to understand that God has put into the hearts of people certain economic longings, which we can see in the world around us today. Uh, interestingly, there have been a few uh, uh, global studies done about what people really long for in terms of the economy. And you might think that people long to be wealthy, uh, people long to have lots of stuff or a bigger car or a bigger house, but you know, that is not the primary longing of people around the globe today, not even in prosperous Western nations. So what are the longings that uh, studies have shown exist in human beings that God has put in our hearts? Well, God has put in our hearts a longing to have sufficient food, clothes, and shelter. Everyone around the world wants sufficient food, clothes, and shelter, not to starve, to have appropriate clothing, not necessarily the latest fashions, but appropriate clothing and uh, a home, a place in which to live, which protects them from the elements. People also have a desire, a longing for an honest, gainful job with fair wages that will help provide for their families. People around the world, they want that. An honest, gainful job that will help provide for their families. People around the world want to do work that is productive and creative, that adds to society. They want to make sure that their jobs are making a difference toward the well-being of other people, of their, of their society. People around the world have shown that they have a longing to live a peaceful, quiet life in a peaceful, quiet family, community, and nation. People long for a stable nation, a stable government that will provide for stability within their nation. People around the world, uh, every culture, this is true of every culture, uh, every place, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, all around the world, they have a hope that their children will have a future. They want their children to have an education, to be able to have a job, and have a family of their own. They long for this for their kids. And people around the world long to leave a legacy for their children, for the next generation if they don't have children, so that the next generation is better off than they were. Now, these are global longings that I believe that God has put in people's hearts. Uh, and it's amazing how these longings uh, go across cultures, across societies, even across styles of government. Uh, a number of years ago, I was having a conversation with my, my friends in Croatia. And they were commenting about how so many older adults in Croatia long for the days when Croatia was under the rulership of the dictator Tito. Uh, they used to call him Uncle Tito. And you, you might think, wow, you know, people want to be under a dictator. Well, yeah, because the people remembered that everybody had a job, everybody had a home, uh, everybody could afford the basics of life, and everybody could have a, a holiday on the coast. You know, they had a peaceful, quiet life for the most part. Uh, it's, it's, so it's no wonder, you know, many people in China today how they enjoy the stability that they perceive in the regime there. And sometimes we in the West who have uh, democratic you know, governments, uh, we kind of think that everybody longs for that. That's not what people long for. The longings that I've just mentioned are the ones that God seems to have put into our hearts. But we also need to understand that God is at work in the global economy right now. And I mentioned this last week. You know, I said that God is destroying the economic idols in which we have trusted. God is challenging 
governments to fulfill their God-given mandate to provide a stable context in which people can have those longings that they have, those economic longings, satisfied. God is calling for justice right now in the nations, making the wrong things right. As Amos said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And right now, there's a lot of injustice in our world, injustice in the economic systems, injustice in the ways that people are being treated. And God is calling for justice in our world right now. God is moving people to care for one another as God has always intended they care for one another. I've really been uh, in, uh, overjoyed with the number of articles that I've been reading here re recently, which is suggesting that perhaps people on the other side of this will be kinder. Perhaps people will be better in terms of their neighbors and the like. That's, we can hope. We can hope for that. And God is awakening the church, us, as his people, to fulfill our role in society as an agent of advancing God's loving rulership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that includes our engagement in the economy. And again, our engagement in the economy, if you go to work, you're engaged in the economy. If you have a bank account and spend money, you're engaged in the economy. Uh, if you pay rent for the place you're living in, you're engaged in the economy. Uh, so all of the things that are, are around our wealth, uh, our resources, all of that is about our economic engagement. And God is calling us to advance his kingdom, not only by proclaiming the good news about Jesus, which we must do, but God is also calling us to live for Jesus in the way that we engage with our economy. So how do we do that? How do we engage with the economy? God is calling his people to live by his economic system and not by the systems of this world. You know, even though we're in the world and we're in the global economic system, we don't have to be of the world or of the global economic system. Throughout history, Jewish communities have actually demonstrated this. One of the reasons that Jewish communities have prospered throughout history around Europe, around other places in the world, is because they seek to live by God's economic system. Not perfectly, of course, but they seek to follow the guidance of the Old Testament and how God was establishing the economy, and they have prospered because of that. And that's how God is calling us to live today, according to his economic system, his guidance, uh, his, his, his preferences and desires as set forth in his word in the Bible. And we're going to look at just a few of those that I think are key. And I want to summarize those uh, into three different categories. But before I do, this engagement in the global economic system, it has a corporate dynamic. It means that we as the church together need to be doing this. Yes, we as individuals need to be doing this, but we as individuals do it as part of the church of Jesus Christ. One of the problems has been in the last 50 years, dare I say, around the world that many times the churches are living according to worldly standards in the way that they deal with their money and their wealth, not godly standards. Uh, and we must do this as the body of Christ, as the church. It's key for us. There's a grace dynamic to this as well. And that is, this is never about rules. We're going to make mistakes. God knows that we're going to make mistakes. But as we do this, we need to live by grace, and we need to give one another grace as well. And there's a Jesus dynamic. You know, it's not enough that we live by God's economic standards, by, uh, according to God's economy, we must make sure that we understand and people understand why we're doing that. We are not living by God's economy so that we get more money. We are not living by God's economy just so the economy of the world is better. We are 
living by God's economy because Jesus is king, and we want, as we live our lives, to let the world know that Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead so that we could re be redeemed from the power of sin, transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son, uh, and live as God wants us to live, prospering as God wants us to prosper, all because of who Jesus is. So when we engage in the economy, we engage in the economy evangelistically. We must make sure that people know why we're doing what we're doing. Otherwise, they won't understand that we don't do this because it's going to make us wealthier. We do this because it makes Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords and makes that message known all around the world. So I want to talk about these, give you a few things very quickly about how God wants us to engage, not only now, but especially in the post-COVID-19 uh, economy. Uh, and I'm going to do this under three headings. The first one is steward our resources faithfully, enjoy what God provides fully, and do good intentionally. So first of all, we are called to steward our resources faithfully, to manage, to lead in the use of our resources faithfully. We must exercise first faithful stewardship, especially in the little things. Remember what Jesus said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If we want God to prosper us, we need to demonstrate our faithfulness even in the small things. My father, uh, you know, when I was uh, an older teenager, uh, bought me a used car. But you know, before he did that, he made sure that I had a track record of faithfulness in my life for how I used the family car. If he hadn't seen the faithfulness of taking care of the family car, he wouldn't have given me my own car. And that's what God's talking about here, this kind of dynamic. The second part of stewarding our resources faithfully is practicing economic integrity and honesty. The scripture says this is key to living long in the land that God gives us. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of passages about land, um, and, and we know that, that it's talking about the physical land that God gave to Israel but as Christians today, we can understand that metaphorically to, uh, uh, to refer to the land that God has given us, the area the, of influence that God has given you for your life, your job, your home, your family, your resources, that it's all part of your land. And if you want to be long in your land, God says, practice economic integrity and honesty. It says this in Deuteronomy 25. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have. Remember, this is about honesty and fairness engaging in the economy. Uh, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. It's powerful. The third thing, understood in our resources faithfully, is to be generous. Paul tells the, the, for the wealthy people, and by the way, most people don't think they're wealthy, but we are wealthy in this society. He says, be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share. We must be looking to add value in everything that we're involved with. We need to have our generosity be obvious so that people can see that and they need to know that it's coming out of Jesus. Uh, the next thing, under stewarding our resources faithfully, is we must avoid consumer debt like the virus or like the plague, as we might have said uh, a few months ago. Avoid consumer debt. Remember that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Make it your passion. If you have consumer debt right now, make it your passion to do whatever it takes to get out of that consumer debt. Be as austere as you need to be to get out of consumer debt and stay out of consumer debt. Now, by consumer debt, I'm talking about debt for buying clothes or uh, you know, many things in your life, even some bigger items. I'm not talking about necessarily debt for your home. 
uh, or even debt for your car, although if you can avoid going into debt for a car, you should avoid going into debt. Avoid debt like the plague. Uh, and then a final thing under this is aspire to leave a legacy for two generations after you. Aspire to leave a legacy for two generations, not just your children, but your children's children. As Proverbs says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I'm so thankful for Karen's grandfather, Ken, uh, because he was a good man in this way. I mean, he left a legacy not only for his children, but his children's children. And he intended to do that. He set out to do that uh, decades before he passed away. Uh, and what a godly example. And that needs to be our passion. We need to understand it, it's not leaving a legacy just to our children, but to our children's children, two generations after us. And we need to steward our resources faithfully in order to do that. A second thing, uh, and it's something we don't normally think about as Christians, we need to enjoy what God provides fully. Enjoy what God provides fully. Now, how do we do this? Well, first, we need to be content with our food, clothes, and shelters. Paul said, but if we have food, food and clothing with these, we will be content. Whatever we have at any point in time, learn to be content with it. Not always desiring uh, a new pair of trousers or a new blouse or a new dress, uh, the latest shoes, um, the latest items that you feel like you need to have. Whatever you have in terms of food, clothes, and shelter, be content with it. doesn't mean that you might not need bigger, and, and that doesn't mean that you cannot aspire to have something more but learn to be content with what you have right now. And this contentment is a choice. A second thing that we would say under enjoy what God provides fully is enjoy your food, your drink, your relationships, and your work. Learn to enjoy, choose to enjoy the food that you have, the drink that you have, the relationships in your life, whether you like the people or not. I mean, come on, let's, be, let's face it. A lot of times we don't like the people that we happen to be around. And, you know, that could even be the person we're married to. Not me. Not me. Just want to be clear on that. Uh, you know, but we can still choose to enjoy those people. And who knows, if you choose to enjoy the relationships you have, you might find that those people that you thought were annoying to you are not so bad after all. I've had many become friends because I seek to enjoy them. As Solomon says, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. A toil is a word for work. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or have any enjoyment. All the enjoyment we get comes from God. It's the way He's designed us. You know, He's designed us to experience pleasure. Hallelujah. Not just suffering. Enjoy not only the food and drink and relationships, but enjoy everything that God has richly provided you. Paul says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that don't be proud, don't be arrogant because you have money, nor to set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hope that you're going to get more money, that you'll be wealthy. Uh, this is like, uh, I used to think, God, if you let me win the lottery, just think of all the things I could do for that, with that money. I was setting my hope on money that I didn't have, and the uncertainty of riches. I mean, it was so uncertain that I'd ever win the lottery. So unlikely. And yet, so many times, that's what we do. We set our hope on that. And, and Paul says, don't set your hope on that. But 
Set your hope on God. And get this, that I, this is one of my favorite phrases in all of the Bible. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's an awesome statement. That means if God has provided you a guitar, enjoy playing it. If God has provided you the skills, say, to play tennis, you know, have fun doing it. Um, you know, for us, God has, has provided us a car. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, and I just, I enjoy driving. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I don't always enjoy everything about it, but I enjoy it. Uh, it's very, very important. And for this, we need to understand that consumption and greed is the great destroyer of enjoyment and contentment. If you're desiring to get the, the latest uh, gadget, if you're always desiring for the latest clothing, if you're always longing for the bigger house or the bigger car or the better job, you know, all of that, and, you, and your mind is always about what I can get, what I can get, what I can get, what I can get, that's a greedy attitude. That's a consumerist attitude. And the attitude of consumerism destroys contentment and enjoyment. And get this, and please understand this, the attitude of consumerism is designed to destroy your contentment and your enjoyment. Advertising today is designed to make you discontent and keep you from enjoying things so that you'll want to buy more things. Please understand, this is the world's way of trying to destroy you and your enjoyment of what God has richly provided. We must take care about this and enjoy what God's richly provided, beware, being aware, uh, bewaring of consumption and greed. Uh, and be sure under, under this enjoy what God provides fully to combine godliness with contentment. As Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So we're living for God, and as we choose to be content, there's great gain in that. And the idea of gain is the same kind of concept of financial gain. So if you really want to gain in life, combine godliness and contentment. If you really want to enjoy what God provides fully, combine godliness and contentment. And then the third way that we participate fully in God's economy, if you will, is to do good intentionally. Frankly, many of us do good by accident. We, we do good when it comes up before us. But we need to do good intentionally. And the first part of this, we need to seek out opportunities to do good with our wealth and with our resources. Not only just to do good by giving people a helping hand, but say, are there ways that I can do good with the resources, with the wealth, and that's not only our money, that's our possessions, that's our livelihoods, that's all part of our wealth. We need to look for ways that we can do good with our wealth, with our resources. As Paul said, the rich there are to do good and be rich in good works. Uh, uh, the, uh, Solomon said, I perceive that there is nothing better for people than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. To do good as long as they live. Uh, this past couple of weeks, I was attending a virtual conference uh, called the Strategic Investment Conference. Uh, and I, I heard a talk from a guy named Lee Cooperman. Actually, his name's Leon, but he prefers to go by Lee. Lee Cooperman, who became very, very wealthy uh, through hedge fund markets. Uh, he's retired from that now, just manages his own uh, family wealth. But he is one of the people that has taken the giving pledge, which is that by the time he dies, he's going to give away all of his wealth. Amazing. And I loved this, what he said. He was talked about the American dream. And many of us think the American dream 
is about you know having a big house with two cars, uh, three children, two dogs, and four acres of land, uh, and a big bank account or something like that. But listen to what he said about the American dream. He said, the American dream is to work hard, be successful, and share that success with others less fortunate. Work hard, be successful, and share that success with others less fortunate. Now, I don't know if many Americans would agree that that's the American dream, but boy, that sure sounds very biblical to me, based on what Solomon was saying, based on what Jesus was saying. Very powerful. And that leads us to the second thing under do good intentionally, and that's work hard at the good work that God has set before you. Work hard at the good work God has set before you. Uh, Solomon said, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. We just saw that. Also, that everyone should take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Do you understand? Taking pleasure in whatever work God has given you is part of God's gift to us as human beings. Many of us, we don't really look at work that way, but we need to shift our minds. Uh, He also said, Solomon also said in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And uh, I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, whatever you do, work heartily, As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to work tomorrow, men, women, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the big ways that we serve Jesus through our work. So we need to work hard at whatever work God provides. Uh, And this toil, as I said, refers to work. Um, but it refers to any work that God provides to us, uh, whether it's paid employment, it's unpaid employment, it's a volunteer commitment you make. Uh, any work, the full panoply of work, is referred to uh, in this biblical term. Our work helped build society and advance God's kingdom. Then another thing under... Um, do good intentionally, is we need to help provide for those in need who are willing to work. Help provide for those in need who are willing to work. Paul says something very challenging, I think, for many in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work, but busy bodies. Every human being has a responsibility to work. And Paul says clearly, and he's talking about Christians here, he says, hey, if somebody doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. If somebody is not willing to work, it's okay if uh, they go hungry. It's okay if they suffer. I know when we had a lot more things going on at City Temple in terms of clients and things like that, uh, for several years, I made it a practice when, uh, you know, somebody who seemed fit, who was on the street, who was asking me for money, uh, if they wanted money, I'd say, you know, I can't give you money, but I can give you work. I said, if you'll show up at such and such a time, come to the church, uh, work for a few hours, I'll give you this much money, uh, I'll find something for you to do. And you know, in all the years that I did that, and I stopped doing that about five years ago, all the years that I did that, I never had one single person respond. Uh, It's a tough thing. Uh, And I'm very hard-nosed about this. Uh, I don't have a lot of mercy for somebody who is able to work, who refuses to work. I have a lot of mercy for somebody who is able to work, who tries to find a job and can't. And there are going to be many people like that in our society. Um... I have a lot of mercy for those who are completely unable to work, and you know it. Uh, But uh, for somebody who is able to work and refuses to work, that's an issue according to God. Uh, So our responsibility is to help provide for those in need who are willing to work. 
Uh, and we need to look at how we can do that as the people of God in the future. But related to that is the final one in this, uh, in this third area, uh, and that is we need to help the widows, the orphans, and those who are genuinely poor, beginning with the poor in our church families. We need to help the widows, the orphans, and the genuinely poor, beginning with the genuinely poor in our own families. As James says in chapter 1, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, uh, and that's the word visit means to serve or help provide for, orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself stained from the world. Uh, as you know, back in those times, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable people in society. They had nobody to care for them, and so the church rose up boldly uh, when it was first founded in its earliest days, it rose up to help care for the orphans and widows. So we have a responsibility to the genuinely weak and vulnerable in our society, and especially in our churches, who are part of our church families. But we need to understand that when the Bible talks about the poor, when the Bible talks about poverty, uh, the Bible is talking about absolute poverty, not relative poverty. It's very popular today uh, to talk about relative poverty. Uh, so relative poverty means that you have this much income as a percentage of what the, say, the average or median income might be in society. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people who are in relative poverty biblically are not really poor. That might mean that you just can't afford some things that you want to have in your lives. And so we need to make sure that our understanding of these issues is thoroughly biblical. And we need to be sure that we're showing mercy to those who are in absolute poverty, to the poor, to the widows, to the orphans, to those who are weak and vulnerable in our society. And frankly, there are a lot of weak and vulnerable people, and there will be going forward. And we individually and as a church, we need to be asking ourselves, how can we help address these issues? The last two elders meetings, that's one of the big things that we've talked about in our elders. What do we need to be doing, maybe now or in the future, to help those who are weak and vulnerable, those who are genuinely in need around us? And if we're going to do good intentionally, that's an aspect of that. So we need to steward our resources faithfully. We need to enjoy what God provides fully. And we need to do good intentionally. And these things enable us to engage in God's economic system. You know, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ has saved us. He's washed our sins away through his death on the cross. He's given us life uh, through the resurrection and he came that we might live an abundant life, to live life to the full as we advance God's kingdom. And this includes our engagement in the economy. This abundant life is part of that. We need, therefore, to live according to God's call in our society. Now, it's easy to say according to God's standards, but you know the danger there is we can get very legalistic. Uh, we could say standards, but what we mean is something more than standards. What we're talking about here is according to God's righteousness, that is, right relationship with God and with the people around us. And God's call for us to engage economically is a call for us to engage in righteousness with the economy. And this will be key for us as God's people to thrive in the post-COVID world. It is absolutely essential. And it is one of the most powerful ways that we can demonstrate the truth about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember stories that my mom told me. She was one of the people to live through what was called the Great Depression uh, in the 1930s. My mom and my dad both lived through that. And my mom lived through it as a child. And it was amazing. The thing that came out of that so powerfully is that the Great Depression awakened many churches and many communities 
all around the United States and other places around the world, but all around the United States to serve one another, to realize that they had a responsibility to engage with others in their communities, that they had a responsibility to re support one another, to encourage one another. And this was not only people in your church, this was people among the churches in the community. The churches began to work together more and more. The churches began more and more to seek to reach those who didn't have. Uh, individual Christians began to reach out more and more to help provide for those families that were living with the barest of essentials in their lives by dropping off food uh, or by helping to care for the sick or in myriad of other ways. And I believe that COVID-19 is providing us as believers in Jesus an opportunity once again to rise up to work together with other Christians all across our city, all across London, and in our communities within London, because London is not just one great city, it's a, it's a city of communities. It's an opportunity now for us to work together, and to work together not just as some social justice activity, but to work together as a visible demonstration that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, so that we might have life and have it to the full. And I challenge you and encourage you to make a resolution now to change whatever you need to change in your life so that you're fully engaged in the economy in God's way, according to God's word, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Father God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that you've given us so much amazing guidance in the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, you are an amazing God. And we thank you and we worship you and we adore you for all that you've done in us and through us. Lord, help us, no matter how rich or poor or whatever stage in life we're in, help us to engage in the economy in your way to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this world around us, all to the glory of Jesus. For we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.